ask you to turn please to the book of Hebrews chapter 2. I think some people think Jesus is just some cool dude you want to hang out with. He's a role model. He's a buddy. Sometimes people sell the Lord so short in their own mind. They are unfamiliar with passages that speak about knowing therefore the terror of the Lord we persuade men. They're unfamiliar with later in Hebrews when it says our God is a consuming fire. We need to know that in all seriousness Jesus Christ means business. Do you know that? He's not your mellow fellow. You still know this English word. And when he would pray, he would give all. He was such a fine fellow. Kind of Boris Karloff. And he is our friend. We have no friend like Jesus. I don't mean to take anything away from that, but when we speak of the Lord, just like a diamond has many facets, was it? 64 facets to a diamond. Different sides. And today, Jesus is a milk toast. Jesus is a pushover. Jesus is a softie. When's the last time you heard about people singing songs like, Onward Christian soldiers marching as to war! Oh no, we don't want a war. He's the Prince of Peace. Yes, he is. But as some of us looked not too long ago, in Exodus 15, after the Lord had been pleased to destroy the army of the greatest nation that on the face of the earth, the Egyptians were destroyed. And what did they sing in the 15th of Exodus. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. He is the great deliverer. He really is. And we live in an almost anti-military mindset today. I grew up on the West Coast where people said, oh no, let's march for peace. And we forget that we have some enemies. We were reminded in Sunday school. We have an enemy. Satan doesn't want to be a kitty cat and just roll around on his back and bat a ball back and forth. He goes as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. There's something about the Christian life we need to be reminded while we are to love the truth and love the Lord and love one another. The same song, same verse says, love the Lord. He that love the Lord, it says, hate evil. And when our King Jesus takes the field, 
He's not there just to be a cheerleader. Go, guys. Go, folks. Do it. Yay! No. And the Lord is proven. He has been demonstrated. He has been through the crucible. He has been through the valley. He has undergone what he has, not for himself, but for us. There's so much about the Lord and his offices and opportunities in the book of Hebrews. I want to talk about one aspect of one of those. In fact, this is told Brother Jeremy, this is part one. We're going to cut her in half. <clears throat> look at verses 9 and 10. A lot of people want to look at themselves. A lot of people want to look at a hero. Somebody's picture they can hang on a wall. Somebody's praises they can speak. Somebody whose memory they can recall. But do you know that who we should focus upon? Somebody says, well, you're a Baptist. You must think a lot of John the Baptist. We went through a town not too, too long ago. They, they had a St. John the Baptist Catholic Church. <coughs> i tell you what. I admire the Holy Ones indicated in Scripture, but that pales by comparison when I look, and you should look, to Jesus Christ. We see Jesus <clears throat> who was made a little lower than the angels. He was exalted above even the cherubim and seraphim and yet reduced to be a man. To walk on earth among sinners. To be the example to be the speaker, to be the teacher, to be the preacher, to be the miracle worker, to be the everything that we need Him to be. That's who we're talking about here. We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Yes, He worked miracles. Yes, He spoke parables. Yes, He went about doing good. But he came that he might leave. He was born that he might die. All seriousness should be attached to the great mission of Jesus Christ. We see him crowned with glory and honor. But I want you to know something. That was the past. The Father, oh, you don't have to go to the earth. You don't have to endure all that ignominy and shame and reproach. You don't have to be despised and rejected of men to suffer all of that, to be made a laughing stock, to be sneered and jeered at. Well, that was part of the deal, folks. And that he undertook willingly for us. 
Scripture says despising the shame that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory. That's what it took. It wasn't just spouting off platitudes. It wasn't just a knowing grin and a God bless you. No, he put feet to his prayers. He was not merely a man of words. More than Moses, he was mighty in words and in deeds. In bringing many sons unto glory, what was the object? To make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. When our Lord came down from his glory, he didn't come for a cakewalk. He didn't come just to receive some award, some honor. He came to be reduced in the eyes of men, to be mocked as he was, to be despised, to be misunderstood. He knew all of that in advance, and yet he came willingly. It says that he endured all of that to make, this was in order to make him perfect through suffering. In the fifth chapter, he says he learned obedience. Boys and girls go to school and they learn things. They learn facts. They learn concepts. They learn procedures. They're going to connect the dots, so to speak. And you hope that they've learned. You go to a course and they put you through your paces. They have you to do this and they have you to do that. One man, during his instruction, says, you practice this because what you practice is what you're going to do if you've really learned it. If you haven't learned it, you're going to panic. You're going to have that deer in the headlights look, and you won't know what to do. You will freeze up. That's why you practice. And you practice. And you practice. It needs to become second nature. The Lord didn't just talk the talk about obedience. He obeyed the Father. What I want to emphasize is this expression, this great office of the Lord, the captain of their salvation. In America's military, you have the Army, you have the Navy, the Air Force, the Marine Corps. And I know that in certain branches, you have sergeants. We have sergeants in the name. Some with great rank and scrambled eggs. They, they might be a colonel or a general. There are no colonels in the Navy. There are no generals in the Navy. On the other hand, there are no commodores in the army. 
or the air for. But all the services have a captain. The captain many times is the leader of the men when they have been instructed and they're released, they're in a group and many times it's the captain who is the ranking officer who is there to give the orders, to give the condolences when a man loses his life in battle. <clears throat> now I you only think about King Jesus. He's not someone who hangs in the back. He's not someone barking orders from the rear. He is in the trenches. He knows what it is. He knoweth the way that we take. The obvious to me, first off here, is that our captain, the captain of our salvation, we have our salvation through the battle scars of this great captain. The word translated captain, it's a Greek word which means the leader, the chief, a prince. It implies activity in a militia. Now a real captain cares about those troops in his charge. Some don't always take that responsibility. Now I once worked with a man, I talked with Marcia a few times about this fellow. And he wore his captain bars pretty seriously. And I'd heard a lot about this guy, but on one occasion, he and I were the only ones to work a particular post all night. And I'd heard a lot of things, but I didn't know it firsthand. And so I went to, I'll call him Captain Jones, that wasn't his name. And I said, Captain Jones, I'm reporting, and I, I want to know, what it is you want me to do? He says, I'll tell you what you're supposed to do. What I want to, because I'm the captain. Yes, yes, sir, yes, sir. Well, tell me where to go and, and when to do and, and just everything I need to know. He says, I'll be glad to tell you what I want to tell you. Because I'm the captain. Yes, I understand that you're the captain. And so I'm reporting to you, asking you to tell me when and where and how and why. And he says, I'll tell you all those things. when I get good and ready. Because I'm the captain. I'm not so sure Jesus is that kind of captain. You can have a football team and who's in They got the captain. Captain indicates somebody who's taking the lead. Someone who's calling the shots. For good or for ill, they're the one. But, uh, we're supposed to be looking to and keeping all things in proper relation. It's a term to denote superiority. This one is the source of confidence and consolation if you're one of their subordinates. 
This same word, it also has a secondary meaning. I believe it was in Sunday school we made reference to Hebrews 12 where it speaks of the Lord as the author and finisher of the faith. It's also indicative of the author. He's the one who comes up with the plan, who puts it into practice. They say that when he was in training at the French Military Academy, a little Sicilian, uh, Mr. Bonaparte, you know him better perhaps as Napoleon, he was short of stature, but he was big in grandiose ideas. And he had strategies. He had plans. He had things devised in such a way he could arrange the men and he could arrange the militia in such a way that all materials were orchestrated according to a great plan. And so people would study, even though he would lose some of his battles, he had a military mind. And so people would study those and try to follow in line with that. Our text here automatically, immediately, and predictably calls to mind a mighty one, a respected one, an experienced warrior. So I want this morning to emphasize the soldierhood of our captain. I want you to know that our captain has all the making of what it takes to accomplish. He has all the makings of the finest military heroes. As far as qualifications, let's think about his maturity. He's certainly old enough. Probably everyone who served any time in the service knows that sometimes they get these 90-day wonders. They were a civilian and then after a Quickie program. They slap the uniform on them and they say, get out there and lead those men. Well, the Lord is not the ensign or the second lieutenant. He's one who has gone through. Interestingly, in the, in the army and uh, the similar services, uh, you make captain, that's, that's an 03. That's a third level up as an officer. But a man who wasn't in the Navy had his phone ring once, and so and so, this is Captain so and so, and he's like, Captain, <laughs> I'm, I'm a captain. Yeah, he was a captain in the army. Now, this is Captain so and so, USN. He wears a bird. That's an 06, like a colonel in the other services. So you get good captains in all of the service. But a captain's name, a captain's order, should capture the attention. And we think about his age. John 1 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. He's not a Johnny come lately. He's the one who has always been. For the Revelation chapters 5 and 13, he has stood as a lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. He's not a last minute guy, he's not a fill in guy. He has time in rate. 
Look with me please in Acts chapter 5. <clears throat> After the Lord's death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, it's Christ that was preached. The apostles didn't pat themselves on the back and say, we're really fine fellows and you need to follow our example. No, they preached Jesus. My calling is to preach Jesus. Your calling is to follow Jesus. And may we together see high and lifted up Jesus. Acts chapter 5, Peter and the other apostles made it very clear to the religious intelligentsia of his day. Verses 30 and 31. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus. Yeah, there are some great examples. We talk about Job. We talk about Abraham. We talk about David. We talk about so many others. Heroes of faith listed in the Word. But none can compare with the captain of our salvation. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. That's how you despised him. But what has the Father done? Him hath God exalted with His right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. A lot of people talk like, well, I repented. I did this. I did that. I guess they didn't get the memo. It's the Lord who gives repentance. It's the Lord who opens eyes. It's the Lord who opens ears and hearts. We need to know that. It needs to speak to what we believe. And what does this captain do? He loses his identity. You know, a bullet can kill a private just as well as it can a captain. Disease can take out a captain just as well as it can a sergeant. Or anyone else. <clears throat> See the captain loses his identity for the sake of the battle. But not his abilities of leadership. In fact if there's anybody that ought to have a cool head. It ought to be the captain. If there's anybody who can anticipate what is the need of the hour. It is the captain. That's one we can see exemplified in David. He was hunted like a dog by the enemies of Israel. He was hunted like a dog by his own father-in-law, Saul. And later on, he was hunted like a dog by one of his sons. He knew what it was to be out there and have a target on his back. <coughs> that was David. And yet he was the king of Israel. And there are people today who can't say the name of Jesus Christ without spitting, without sneering and snarling. We love our captain of our salvation. We love the Prince of Peace. We love the Son of God, the Word, the one who does fire battles for us, the one who does accomplish as he does. For you see, even though he humbled himself and took the form of a servant, and yet Paul and John both speak of him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is one 
we can never take our eyes off of and say, I've seen enough. I know it all. And he endured great preparation to take on that rightful position. In Galatians 4, it reminds us that the heir, when he's coming up, before he reaches that point where he's promoted to full heirship, if you will, he differs not from a servant. The Lord didn't say, hey, everybody, I'm really special. Well, I can have these when I'm talking because sometimes people want to look at me. That's not Jesus. We need to understand that he had a work to do. He is the one who comes to seek and to save that which is lost. Never discouraged. Never discouraging. He's the one who in love of Matthew said, you take my yoke upon. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Never will he desert his subordinates. He indicated in the Gospel of John, I will have to leave you, but I won't leave you comfortless. He says, I will come again. And as he commissioned the church, he said, you go! You make disciples! You baptize them! And you teach them all things I have commanded you! Anything else, Lord? Never forget this. Lo, I am with you always. You know, when we pray, we think, Father, we're thankful for the life of your Son. He came in this world and lived the perfect example. He certainly did. But don't think He's an absentee landlord. You know, Jesus Christ is with us right now. Right here might make us think twice when we think, what's the good of this? Our captain would have us to be in the Word, to be under the discipline of the Spirit, to be in the company of God's people. Don't belittle the opportunity to be among the people of God. And real quickly, I want to remind you about two major things. First is, some people go through minor skirmishes and they make out like they really did something. But I want you, before Jesus began His public ministry, Matthew 4 tells us He went out the backside of the desert three times Satan tempted Him. He didn't hunker down. He didn't whine. He didn't try to dodge it. He withstood. We talked about the devil. What do you do? Hide! It's the devil. No. Stand. Having your loins girded. Having done all, you stand. You resist the devil. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to resist him because I'm. No, it's not you. Resist him in the faith. How did Jesus resist the devil? Did he say, Angel, you take this one. Just hit this guy in the head. Smack him. No. He used the word. The living word used the written word and he quoted 
the scripture. That's why we need to know what this book says. Not what the preacher knows the book says. What you know what the book says. Because I guarantee you, the devil's probably not going to come and say, your whole soul hinges on whether you know there's a verse that says Jesus wept. Oh yeah, no, okay, I'll leave you alone. No, he, he's not going to go there. He's going to bring something up. And as we were reminded again, we have to be ignorant of his devices. He will use any tool. He will not fight fair, quote unquote. He'll hit below the belt. He will make you a target. And he loves to drain us. He loves to discourage us. He loves to divide us. <laughs> and my job's easier. Again, we reminded him. See, these guys that teach Sunday school don't realize how much. Now, I like to sit in here because sometimes the Lord uses these things to kind of help illustrate what I've got lined up to preach. I had planned Tuesday to preach this. And I didn't call up Brother Sean. By the way, would you mention about the devil? And and, and Brother Kenny, would you... you know, I, I don't prep these guys, folks. No. Somebody else does a much better job. And I'm thankful for that. It governs together, doesn't it? And so we need to appreciate such. Nothing blesses me more when somebody says, you know, you, you answered some questions in your message. Well, that's part of why I'm here. God bless you for telling me so. I like to know that we're listening. Very important. It's interesting to me that throughout his ministry, there are people, dang state, one time they're going to push him off a cliff. He just turned around and walked through the crowd. More than once, the Lord seemed to be up against in, insurmountable odds. The night they came to arrest Him. These guys show up and they got their spears and all these other things. I mean, they, they, they weren't taking any chances, they would say. We're going to put the hurt on Him. We're going to take Him into custody and take Him back to the Romans. Then He said, who are you looking for? We're looking for this Jesus of Nazareth. All he had to say was, that's me. You bowled him down. He really said, he could have said, fellas, because we're through here. And he could have just walked off. That's not why he came in this world. No. He willingly, in fact, ironically, his very last miracle was not to raise someone from the dead or to feed the hungry, but the servant of one of these who came, thanks to good old Simon Peter, got his ear lopped off and Jesus reattached the guy's ear. That speaks volumes, doesn't it? I'm going to close this morning to remind you that much as we talk about his example, the encouragement that he provided by what he did and where and how he did it, and who he cared about, how much he would accentuate 
So many times we read in the scripture about people and you and I would think, that's a nobody. When a woman came to honor him, the apostles said, get this woman out of here. We got things to do and places to go and people to see. And the Lord said, leave her alone. She's done what she could. I don't think Peter was expecting that. I don't think James and John were expecting that. They probably expected Jesus to say, well, we can get out of here. We've got something important to do. But he said, everywhere the gospel is preached, what this woman has done will also be mentioned. Hmm. Other folks might not see what you do for the Lord, but the Lord sees what you do. <clears throat> Not long ago, I was hearing a person being eulogized for being humble. I think they said this guy was humble, what, 18, 19 times? Something like that. You know, if I have to be told how humble somebody is, maybe they ain't so humble. I don't know. You've probably heard of John Bunyan. He wrote Pilgrim's Progress. After the Bible, the greatest work of Christian literature, written originally in the English language by a Baptist preacher when he was locked up for preaching, he wouldn't take a license from the state, so he was in Bedford Jail. And while he was there, in the similitude of a dream, he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. Now, if he had not written Pilgrim's Progress, he still would have been famous because his second most famous work, I hope you've read it or at least heard of it, it's called The Holy War. It's talking about the great battle. Diabolos, the devil, goes against the city of man's soul because the devil targets People. But it was the captain of their salvation, Prince Emmanuel, who is victorious in the holy war. And I want you to know that much as this world sneered and jeered, they thought they had him down. He is up there suspended on that torture stake, mocking him. His Followers have deserted him. And the people are just having a field day. And yet, what does Jesus say? I'm a loser. I made a big mistake. I got on the wrong side. Nobody likes me. No. It is finished. Did you know that? Does that mean anything to you? You know, there are a lot of people. Yeah, Jesus, he, he did a lot of stuff, but... But I'm going to do this and I'm going to make heaven because I'm going to do this and when I've done that, I'll have made it. No. You can't. You won't. See, people think it all depends upon me. That's why in the name of evangelism, some people do things to get the individual to have a mood change. To get their attention. To flash with this and to alert with that. And it's all a lot of psychology to get people to think, I can do this. 
No, it's not what you do. It's what Jesus Christ has done. And Jesus made it very clear. It is finished. That's the word of the captain of our salvation. Can you rejoice in that? Now, in Hebrews 1, it tells us that when he had finished the work, you know what he did? <clears throat> he sat there. He is the high priest of our profession. Now, the Jews knew about the priesthood. The priests would go into the tabernacle and later the temple, and they had tables, and they had altars, and they would burn incense. They had furniture. But you know what they didn't have? They didn't have chairs. You know what? Because the priest's job was never finished. They might have done the very best they could one day, but they'd come back and they do it again. And do it again. And even on that one day, on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go all by himself behind the veil. And there he would sprinkle the blood of a lamb upon that little table, that little lid there. The mercy seat. And he did it once a year. The next year, do it again. The year after that, do it again. And do it again. And do it again. And the blood of bulls and goats. When did it ever take away sin? It never could. It never would. It never did. But this man, who did once go, he finished the work, and he sat down on the right hand of God. Because what he had to do in that realm was finished. I want to close for today in Acts chapter 7. I'm honored to be named for a man named Stephen. He was a preaching deacon. There's room for that in the Lord's church. And there were seven deacons, but Stephen and Philip, the only one that we know were preaching deacons. And he was given an opportunity to speak, and he forevermore spoke. And he scalded the ears of those Jews. Let them know, you have been given the things of God, if you will, on a silver platter, but you haven't kept those things. And all of you would get matter and matter and matter and wanted to shut him up so bad that they did. They took him out and they stoned him. But as they were beating the life out of Stephen, he let him know, I can see something. See that with me, please. In Acts chapter 7, verses 55 and 56. Oh, I'm sure there was blood oozing from many a, many a puncture. 
Many a stone had cut him. He was bleeding, getting weaker by the moment. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven. He said, oh, I see Mama up there. No, don't disrespect anybody's mom. But he wasn't looking to his mom. He wasn't looking at Moses or Abraham or David or Daniel or Job or Adam or anybody else. We talked about seeing Jesus. That's who he saw. That's how I hope you'll see. Don't look to me. I'm just a puny human like you. I can't say. This church can't say. This tank can't save. Communion can't save. Only Christ can and only Christ does. Yeah. And some people, they choke on this and they choke on that. Folks, if the Lord shows you you're a sinner, you come to Christ. You look to Christ. Well, I've got this theological concern. All concerns are satisfied in Jesus Christ. Look to Him. And he looked and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open. Now, when Jesus finished his work, he said he's finished. And like it says in Hebrews 1, he sat down. But because precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. <coughs> Stephen was coming home. And the Lord stood to Four deaths in three days. It just touched us. We get touched by death on a regular basis. And to many people, it's a tragedy. Oh, it's a terrible thing. Really? I tell you, I've, I've had some graduations and I never said, what a tragedy, they're not in high school anymore. No. What a tragedy. They, they won't be hitting the books at school anymore. No. Congratulations. And when someone is promoted to glory, and to think of the Lord standing to receive. Standing to receive those precious ones. Because you see, the captain doesn't just bark out orders. The captain follows through. <laughs> and the Lord willing, next week I want to talk about the saviorhood of our captain. But I, I hope you'll think on these things. May the Lord be pleased to add faith to the preaching of His Word.